One of our listeners wrote into me and pretty much bluntly asked, why don't you do Hello Citizens anymore? That's a good question. And I said, because that's the old show. We're on the new show. Yeah. That's the old show. We're 38 episodes into the new show. Is it? 37. That? In a row? In a row. Try not to do any episodes on the way through the parking lot. So I said, that's the old show, man. And he said, so? That's and it was one of like the sound logic. Best arguments I, I have ever heard. So, yeah. Um, and? <laughs> Hello, citizens. Welcome to Beer Me a Movie. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is the show where we watch a movie, we talk about the movie, we arbitrarily score the movie, and if our score matches up with the Rotten Tomatoes critical score or audience score, we gotta drink. We drink. We pound, really. You drink, we, too. Well, we make, or we make our drinks disappear in our faces, the entirety of them, and if you're at home or in the car or at work or watching a baby or something, you drink, too. <laughs> Especially if you're at work with a baby. This week, it's week three of All Audience August. Brian? Augience. There you go. Can I complain about something? Yeah, I'm kind of curious what you have to complain about this early. We haven't done anything yet. I've hated Augience since the first time I said it, but I, I just needed to lean into it. You are such a masochist. Yeah. Yeah, the very first time I was like, oh, that's terrible. Do you want to end I'm it? Gonna... We can end it. Uh, we, we only have one week left now. Might as well lean in. No, there was no way I was going to let it end, by the way. There's no way. I was going to make you repeat it even more. Audience. Welcome to Audience. It's week number three. And this week, the random movie picker thinger chose <laughs> It's Just Kevin's choice of 2012's John Carter, directed by Andrew fucking Stanton. Andrew fucking Stanton, indeed. And that's a choice to give him a fucking for this movie. But, well, man, the guy's got a history. I feel like you can give him a fucking overall, and then this movie's just another one he did. I just remember that he did Wally, and I'm like, he gets the fucking. Yeah, 100%. and Finding Nemo. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. I'm also not entirely convinced that Finding Dory wasn't Disney's way of being like, I think you owe us one after John Carter. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> also, you're doing it for free for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Uh, we need a cash grab after all the money we lost, so you're doing a Finding Dory. Oh, we'll absolutely get there. Have you ever seen John Carter before? I have never seen John Carter before. Are we calling it Disney's John Carter? Because Disney, Dis they're still slapping their name all over this thing. They are. Um, no, I was so unfamiliar with this movie that literally until last episode, Googling it after we finished, I thought we were going to be talking about Samuel L. Jackson as a basketball coach. That's Coach Carter. It very, sure is. very different movie. <laughs> Did not know John Carter existed at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, uh, now you do. Yeah. Have you seen this? No. No, no, no. This is one that after I heard all of the skittlebutt about all the flopping around and all that stuff, I was like, I don't think I need to see this all that much. And then when It's Just Kevin requested, he's like, you're going to love it. I'm like, I don't know about that. And I even texted him <laughs> before watching it and said, Two hours, 12 minutes. You're an asshole. <laughs> so you still have a chance to rescind that you'll love it. He didn't. He doubled down today when he texted me. He's like, what'd you think of it? Pretty great, right? We'll, we'll get there. We will. Do you want to just dive right into it? Yeah, let's just get right into it. Now, historically, we have used Wikipedia for the synopsis portion, but I would like to introduce everybody to uh, our new AI producer, writer McStrikely. This is possibly the most insensitive thing we've ever done. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, but we definitely. are going to have to lean in really hard. Wikipedia has just been dropping the ball too much lately. Yeah, it turns out like there's people that are very vigilant about undoing insane edits. So anytime somebody went in and tried to change it to make it fun for us, it was already reverted back by the time we got to it. It's pretty much that, take RoboCop, for instance. You know some really cool dude's going to go in there and say, and then RoboCop shot the guy in the dick. Right. And then Mr. Wiki's going to go in and say, you didn't give me a dollar. Sorry, cool dude. We're pulling that right out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, $5 and an attribution I'm going to need. To say that RoboCop shot a man in the dick? Yes. Never forget that RoboCop shot a man in the dick. Never forget. I, I don't know how I could. <laughs> so what we have for you now is a plot synopsis of the movie John Carter from writer Mick Strikely. I'm like a little nervous about it because this is the first time I haven't actually read the plot synopsis with you this is a weird one it feels like we're going back to the olden days this is uncharted territory for sure here we go picture the scene 1881 new york city a funeral fit for a king or in this case a rather cryptic confederate army captain named john carter but this ain't your regular funeral shindig (laughs) carter's got a plot (laughs) twist that's about to blow your mind get ready for a Cosmic roller coaster ride as we unlock the secrets of Carter's wild journal. What just happened? Uh, I think we just got prepped. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Writer McStrikely, absolutely brilliant there. This just made me forget about the two hours, 12 minutes that I spent watching this last night. Like a little bit. There's joy in my heart right now. I think Writer McStrikely might make this movie sound more exciting than it was. I did read the Wikipedia synopsis of it, and it was just word soup. They tried to, like, <laughs> squeeze in all of the lore in this movie, and it's like, the movie tried it itself, and it was rough. <laughs> it couldn't do it in two hours and 15 minutes. Wikipedia said, I'll try it in 700 words, and that's why you don't get my goddamn dollar. Exactly. Flashback to the 1868 Arizona Territory, where Union Colonel Powell, played by the one and only Brian fucking Cranston, Snags Carter, played by Taylor Kitsch. Good choice. Here's the thing. With Taylor Kitsch, I feel like he might be a good actor who has just made some very bad choices in roles. I agree, because this thing should have been for literally anyone else. I kept seeing, like, a poor man's Emil Hirsch on the screen. Yeah. But the thing that Taylor Kitsch does really, really, really well, especially as Riggins in Friday Night Lights, is what he doesn't say. And what he portrays in his, like, stoicism. The subtext. And in this role here, I can't tell if he's too old for it or too young for it. And that's a problem. (laughs) But it's definitely one or the other. He's the wrong age. A hundred percent he's the wrong age. He's the wrong actor. He has one of those, like, low voices that you want, like, yeah, I'm in 1868 Arizona territory. But it's, like, the tiniest bit too high? Yeah. In the low register? It's not like a, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> but it's like me trying to get low. Get low, get low. Exactly. To the window. We'll get to the skeet skeet later. Yeah, the skeet skeet's yet to come. Ah. <laughs> Colonel Powell snags Carter for a not-so-little chat. Powell's got big dreams of Carter joining the anti-Apache club. Carter, That's being the rebel he is, not the way that ever should be worded. <laughs> Hey, don't take it up with me. Take it up with McStrikely. That's a good point. Carter, being the rebel that he is, 
ain't exactly on board with that plan. He stages a grand escape, and things escalate quicker than you can say yee-haw. Ryder McStrikely is very offensive. Making choices. <laughs> Carter's escape lands him in a cave that's not only stuffed with gold, but also some surprise guest appearances. Cue the Thern, a cosmic oddball <laughs> who takes a stab at our hero, literally. This is the bald guy, right? The bald yeah, blue the man? Yeah, the bald guy. Yeah. But he's not as cool as like a blue man group blue man. Like there's no percussion. There's just, let me give you exposition instead of playing these cool paint drums. Carter ain't one to back down, and then Thern ends up tasting his own cosmic medicine. But oh, what's that? The Thern's <laughs> medallion, the ultimate travel trinket, zaps Carter straight into the Martian realm. And you thought your morning commute was wild. Did writer McStrikely write that? Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> I like how they say straight into the Martian realm. It's fucking Mars. It's Mars. It's not a Martian realm. I feel like a Martian realm would be like, oh, we brought Mars to us, and we built a small dome of Mars here. It's now the Martian realm. This is straight up <laughs> Mars. This is Barsoom. That's actually a fun idea of how, like, yeah, we're on Earth. We named all the planets for us Earthlings. Yeah. Right. But I like that Mars just like, the little blue marble thing? Nah, dude, that's Jarsoom. Yeah, that's Jarsoom. You're Earth? That's such a dumb name. That is a stupid name. But wait, Mars isn't just a barren landscape of red rocks. It's oh, a going whole... back to reading. <laughs> He's just so conversational. He, he really is. It's a whole circus of gravity-defying tricks thanks to Carter's new bone density and Mars's low-gravity shenanigans. Think leaping skyscrapers is impressive? <laughs> Try leaping Martian canyons like a boss. Oh, my God. Uh, cue a 10-minute-long montage of Taylor Kitsch trying to jump and not being able to. It's such a long montage. He just keeps trying to, like, run and jump. And at no point is he going, huh, what if I don't do this? Well, he, like, tries to shuffle, like, a penguin at one point and still falls on his face. For people who don't believe in, like, history or whatever, like... The South will rise again or whatever. This is proof that it won't. Is that Taylor Kitsch, Confederate soldier Taylor Kitsch, could not figure out how to walk in just a little less gravity. I mean, he eventually figured it out because they stopped caring about it. It was one of those things you can almost like hear Andrew stand behind the camera like, okay, that's enough. And then Taylor Kitsch is like, <laughs> all right, I, I guess I know how to do this now. In one I try. can walk now. And then he does. And then I like the awkwardness of the walk because now they know like, okay. There's gravity fuckery afoot. Yeah. So now he has to walk just a little bit differently every time. <laughs> Maybe we should have gotten a real actor to do this. There is gravity fuckery afoot when it's convenient to the plot. That's right. <laughs> Cue the Tharks, a tribe of green-skinned, many-limbed Martians led by Tars Tarkas, the fabulous Willem fucking Defoe. These folks make your regular Earthlings look positively mundane. <laughs> Uh, you know what's disappointing about Willem Dafoe in this movie? Uh, that it's not his face? Correct. It's like, I wanted, like, a mocap thing, I feel like. Like, when I heard yeah. Willem was in this, I was like, hell yeah. And that's just his voice. You're like, that's not what I'm interested in. I think that it was mocapped, but just, like, very early mocap. They didn't quite know what they were doing with it. Uh, like, if you're going to Dafoe, you got to Dafoe. If you're going to Dafoe, you got to Dafoe. The same rules apply to a walk-in or a Buscemi. 
So they even let Buscemi, Buscemi the hell out of like Monsters, Inc. when he's playing that little slimy Randall fella. Right. That's true. This is just giant green guy who's got a cool voice. And he's got a lot of hands. So many hands. That is that like, so confusing when they're telling John Carter to jump and you see him like go left to right, but he's like doing it with different hands that shouldn't be where the hands are. It's very complicated anatomy wise. <laughs> it's like Goro trying to do sign language. That would actually be a treat. You could have like two yeah, different conversations at once, but then he's still going to get his ass kicked by a guy in just an oversized sweater. Yeah. I mean, some, some Arcanas are really cool looking. <laughs> that would be so fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Mars, or Barsoom as the locals call it, is basically a sibling squabble gun interplanetary. Helium and Zodanga have been throwing punches for a good chunk of history. <laughs> How great would it have been if Taylor Swift didn't call it the Eris Tour, she's called it the Chunk Tour. The Chunk Tour. It's like the different chunks of my career. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was that was the 1989 Chunk. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Better name. Going into my red chunk. Great excuse to get the kid back from Goonies, who's now like a really big entertainment lawyer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could have done it pretty easily there. That L.A. show where they closed it out. You get him on stage doing a truffle shuffle with T-Swift? Sign me up. That is the chunk tour. That's like the only way you get me to be a Swifty, though, I think, too. Oh, well, that makes I know you're us. deep. I know that. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. If you dated Taylor Swift, would Ooh. you be, A, wanting to stay in it for the long run to get that ring on it, or B, knowing that you're going to get broken up with and that there's going to be a really cool song written about you? Oh, that's tough. I feel like you always go in with the right intentions, but... The calling of a song is just too much to... It, it'll always be there in the back of your mind, you know what I mean? So you're saying, like, there's going to be one time where you're, like, a solid year into this thing. You're at that pivotal moment of, like, are we going to keep going? Are we going to stop this? And she puts up her presumably large feet, because she's a very tall person. She's very tall. And starts tall. just, like, clipping away, and you make the decision right there of, there's no way this is going to work. Do I do some <laughs> fucked up shit for some cool lyrics? How terrible can I be to her before she breaks up with me and writes a song? Because the more terrible you are, the better the song. 100% the better the song. So that's why I don't know why people don't go into relationships with her with that in the back of their mind already. It's starting to seem like they might. You got to go into a relationship with her and escape plan. And you got to like cement your legacy. Because right. first of all, you landed Taylor Swift. Bravo right there. That's Bravo. pretty good. But this is kind of like a Billy Mays situation of like, just wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, can I outdo Jake Gyllenhaal still having a scarf? Yes, I can. <laughs> That's easy to do. That's real easy to do. The bar is so low. I'm going to start putting like pizza slices in her pillowcase or something. Just something that's just <laughs> so buck wild. <laughs> I'm, everything I do is going to involve oranges. So she has a hard time rhyming it. She'll figure out a way, though. That's the she worst will. part about it. Webster's going to be like, yeah, that's word of the year. Like, that's not a word. Stop it. I understand you're Swifty, Webster. <laughs> Why is she writing about door hinges so much? She'll figure it out. You got a pretty cool story after. Everybody does. That's the best part. Speaking of cool stories, enter Sabthan, played by Dominic West. He is the Jeddak of Zadanga. <laughs> With his shiny Thern weapon and an ambitious proposal 
marry the princess of Helium, Dejah Thoris, played by Lynn Collins, and call it a truce. See? This is the bullshit that this movie wants to get into. <laughs> you can't just start marble-mouthing your way through words and saying that it's a story now. You can't do that. It's the Jeddak of Zodanga. You said what about Zendaya? Better movie. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> I got major <laughs> Dune vibes from this thing, though. Yeah, well, that's the thing about this story is it's been around so long that like Dune and Star Wars are based on it, and it doesn't get the recognition it deserves. And it still won't, ever, at this point. Especially because of what happened in 2012. Yep. <laughs> Which, I want to say we'll get there, but we're like actively in it. Yeah. So Deja's not about to be anyone's peace offering. She's got a taste for adventure and a knack for escaping, just in time to bump into Carter. Now, bump into there could be used a couple different ways. Because she's kind of like Carly Rae Jepsening her way through this movie. Of like, hey, I just met you. This is crazy. Fight for helium. Maybe we'll have a baby. I don't know. <laughs> different song. But that's pretty much her entire character. Yeah, she's like, and she oh, fights real good. I lied to you again. We're going to helium. Also, do you love me? It's constant. It like it doesn't stop. And the only reason you could tell that she's of a different quote unquote race is that she has red skin. Yes. Sometimes. Sometimes. Depending on the lighting. Sometimes they have red skin and you can tell that they're warring factions because one wears blue and one wears red. Right. They're treating this thing like a fucking weekend paintball match. It's great. Like the Crips and the Bloods. <laughs> uh, shout out to our homies. Thanks for listening. What follows is a cosmic odyssey as Carter, Deja, and the Thark Princess Sola, voiced by Samantha Morton, uncover Martian mysteries powered by a mind-boggling energy source called the Ninth Ray. This thing is taking, like, it's not so much a Cleveland steamer, but it's a Martian steamer on my chest with this exposition. <laughs> A Martian steamer. You got to pay a lot extra for that. You do, because there's like a lot of extra hands involved. But here's the kicker. The Therns, led by the enigmatic Matai Shang, Mark fucking strong. I don't, I are... don't know, man. I don't know. This uh -oh. is the part where we might have to debate. And this is like blasphemous. I know. It, it feels wrong to not give him a fucking. It feels really wrong. But you saw this movie. Yeah, I did. Can I just say for like the first 20 minutes to 30 minutes of this movie, I didn't know who I was supposed to be rooting for. I completely agree with you there. I think Mark Strong's main purpose is to show up so you know who the villain is. Because that's what Mark Strong's best at. Yeah, but is he? That's a very good question that we will address later. Yeah, we will. <laughs> uh, so the Therns are pulling the cosmic strings and our heroes are mere Muppets in their planetary puppet show. <laughs> Cue epic battles, daring escapes, and a whole lot of interplanetary political drama. All right. Ryder McStrikely, you are officially hired because you just condensed like a half hour of this movie into one phrase. You did That was it. beautiful. Interplanetary political drama. As Carter and crew race against the clock to stop the Therns from wreaking havoc, they stumble upon Martian secrets that could change the game forever. Oh, boy. And just when you thought things couldn't get crazier... Carter challenges for the crown of the Tharks after a no-holds-barred tussle with the previous leader. Talk about an unexpected career move. <laughs> I 
I love how this scene is so it's there's like this whole huge battle with these giant albino gorillas or whatever they yeah. are. And then he's like, I challenge for the throne. And the guy jumps down and John Carter beheads him in like less than a like second. It, the fight's over. It's like, oh, there's his head. Okay, he's the king now. And then John Carter's like, all of you Martian folk, you're mine now. Let's roll. And every one of them is like, fuck yes. That's cool. You look like the guys that we hate, but you could be our king. Act three. Act three. Act three. <laughs> so they might as well be chanting. Is that what Dotar Sojat means? It might be. I actually don't know what it means. I, neither do I. I think they say it's like second in command, but like second in the command of the, of the old guy, of Willem Dafoe. But then Willem Dafoe was no longer in command because Thomas Hayden Church was in command. Right, because he's also in this movie. But then there's like a <laughs> but whole then he gets beheaded. internal warring faction thing happening. Amongst I don't know, the man. Tharks. Also, you couldn't choose two names that were more different than Tharks and Therns. No, they couldn't. It was uh, Very confusing. Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote this thing in like 1911, man. There weren't that many words. That's true. Uh, Tharks and Therns. Got it. Nailed it. Edgar Rice, you fucking brilliant bastard. I can't believe this movie was in development hell for like 80 years. <laughs> I kind of can. It was almost an animated movie that came out before Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. That's crazy to me. From Disney also? or also, It would have been, um, I don't know if it was Disney. Because Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is usually looked at it as, quote unquote, Disney's folly. And then it ended up cleaning uh, up. Actually, I believe it was, MG. it would have been MGM. Um, it was actually Bob Clampett was doing the animation. Wow. He was working with Edgar Rice Burroughs to, to do an ad- adaptation that would have come out. Just before Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, it would have been the first American feature like the animated film. They dropped the ball. They did drop the ball. And then they continued to drop the ball for about 70 more years. It happens, man. So we fast forward to a grand showdown between Helium and Zodanga, with Carter leading the charge and Deja by his side. It's a sky-high extravaganza that'll have you (laughs) questioning if you accidentally (laughs) took a rocket to Mars yourself. I mean, we'll get there with style and tone, yeah? This is really interesting because the entire time there's kind of like a little bit of a Sam and Diane with yeah. John Carter and Deja, but except they? there's won't totally they? not. They totally will. The, the whole time it's like John Carter's like, I'm wearing this ring to remember the thing that was bad that happened in my past that we're not going to explicitly say until it's time for me to take the ring off. His wife got killed. She got yeah. burned up. That's it. Burnt up real bad. And he's like, I'm not going to let another wife get burnt up. I got there too late one time. I'm not going to let it happen again. Also, I do have an apartment on Earth that I am still paying rent on. So (laughs) if this happens, I don't want to put the Martian cart before the Martian horse. I don't even know if our biologies will work together in that way. I got an interesting question for you. First of all, are you familiar with Texas high school football? No? That's okay. (laughs) Uh, Next, I have a Prius. (laughs) <laughs> I could show it to you, but we are in the Me Too heyday, so you kind of have to ask to see it. Well, I mean, actually, it's 1860-something, so you'd probably get away with just Let it fly, it. man. Let it fly. <laughs> I got to understand what's going on in your downstairs area for this to work. <laughs> are we compatible between the legs? How wild would it be if she says, no, we have butt-ginas. Because there's a lot happening with 
butt vaginas. Is there? Yeah, because it's a different in uh, everything, really. It's like a cloaca situation. Like you'd be pooping out the front, I think. Not so much the front, but the down. It's like everything's it's switched up. Just enough. Everything comes out of one hole? No, thank you. She lays eggs. That could actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even mention about all the, the baby Tharks at the beginning and David Schwimmer being like, there's so many of them. That was David Schwimmer? <laughs> it was David Schwimmer. No fucking way. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my brain was on a break at that point. <laughs> the other thing that's insane about this movie is that he can't speak the Martian language when he gets there. He drinks some sort of crazy water, and then he's yeah. like, hey, just listen to Barsoom. It talks to you if you want to hear it. And he's like, of course I want to hear it. I don't know what any of you guys are saying. You're calling me Virginia. It's going to be so much easier if you guys know what I'm saying and I know what you're saying. Thank you, Solo, for giving me the magic talking water. But then they're just assuming that grammar's the same, words are the same. I, I don't know, man. Like, they have all sorts of nonsense words, like Tharks and Therns and Zaboga and Zabulba and other Star Wars-sounding things. But they're also like, hey, watch your foot when you step there. Also, yeah. jump. Jump. Which is repeated a lot. So much. It's like, this is the jumping boy. Watch him jump. Jump, jumping boy. What is that to prove? And why won't he do it? It's to prove that he's not like the red folk. Well, that felt like a just a bad sentence to say. See, look, there's something different about him. He jumps real high. And he's like, I'm not going to jump. He's like, well, okay, I guess back to the dungeon with you. It doesn't make any sense. I understand he's his own man. He's kind of putting up his own protests and everything like that. But you got Those guys with a lot of arms and weapons pointed at you telling you to jump. Maybe just jump a little bit. Well, he already knows he can one-shot any of them, so. That's a good point, too. He's very strong. He's extremely strong in some scenes. In other scenes, he's completely helpless because consistency is not a thing we care about. Nope. Not even a little bit. Battles rage, alliances shift, and gravity becomes a mere suggestion in this Martian showdown. <laughs> but hold on to your Martian hats. Carter's got one final card up his sleeve. He pulls a classic move and tosses away his Earth return ticket, the medallion. What a wild move. It's official. Carter's all in for Mars. What was he thinking here? I don't know. Like, at least have the insurance. You know, keep it on you. At the very least. Like, I'm a bit of a collector sometimes when it comes to weird little things like that. Like, I would totally keep my magic medallion that sends me to Earth. I would definitely hold on to the teleportation medallion that can bring me to any planet, as long as I know the Mars name for it. That is important, isn't it? He, like, kind of learns them, though. Yeah. Up to Mars. This was 2012. Was Pluto still a planet? I don't know. It was not. I was sitting in an astronomy class in 2006, 2007, somewhere in there, and it was, like, right when Pluto became not a planet anymore. Wow. My professor was just like fetal positioned Distraught. in the corner, just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. Everything I've worked on is one ninth a lie. So Carter's all in for Mars. And of course, that doesn't last long because the shape shifting Shang sends him right back to Earth medallionless. Almost instantly after he it throws the thing. It is like within much seconds. <laughs> Fast forward back to 1881 as Carter's nephew, Ned cracks the code and opens Carter's tomb. Ned, of course, is Kirkland's signature brand, um, Shia LaBeouf, Daryl Sabara. Daryl Sabara isn't even a ginger in my mind. 
like he has one of those insane hues of hair color yeah. that you can't put a label to. It's they they've tried to name it and it's not a thing. It's like dark red, brown red. Like you need to have a Sherwin Williams designer come in and be like, <laughs> throw words at this thing. Make it you the pain tone match that shit. You can only give it a number, not a name. Man, that's how like Yellow Five got its name, not its reputation, which is an insane <laughs> reputation. It has the most insane reputation, and that's another thing. How did that spread? I have no idea. <laughs> we didn't have the internet. How did we all think that Yellow Five did what we thought it did, and also that Marilyn Manson had a rib removed? It was a weird time, man. The nineties, and every kid had an uncle that worked at Nintendo. I actually had a friend who his mom worked at Nintendo. Mm-hmm. He was like the coolest kid in the world too, until he realized his mom was just like customer service didn't have actually any ties to anything <laughs> at all. It's actually but a still. miracle that that you know a person because everybody said they had an uncle at Nintendo, but only only one person had a mom that worked there. It was a big deal. I remember like she used to drive us to like soccer games and stuff because he was on my soccer team and she showed up one day in like a BMW SUV and it was like the Ooh. first BMW SUV you're like god damn it you must be like Scrooge McDuckin from all those M- Nintendo bucks or whatever that you're making <laughs> and now as yeah. an adult I look at him it's like that's a pretty quality mid-sized SUV yeah all right <laughs> sold a lot of power gloves this quarter <laughs> So Ned cracks the, the complicated code to get into Carter's tomb. Uh, the password's Ned. <laughs> so complicated. And I like how at first he's like, you got to read my diary because your name is the way in. And the first thing he tries is Ed. Even though we saw the telegraph that he got at the beginning of this thing, it said Ned and then never mentioned Ned again. He's like, right. oh, yeah, he's never actually called me Ed. He calls me <laughs> Ned. But this is not your average crypt. It's a trap. And Carter's the mastermind. With a cosmic flourish, Carter's back in action, and he's got some thern trickery of his own. He took some sort of Romeo and Juliet bullshit toxin to replicate death. And is he just sitting there, like, chugging this stuff every now and then? Like, oh, no one's looking. Let me go die again, briefly. He's got to trick some of them earth therns into thinking he's got a medallion. And they're going to rob it from his crypt. But actually, he doesn't have one. So when the thern shows up to rob him... He robs the thern. Kind of just like shanks the thern. It's not so much a shank when it's with a gun, but <laughs> he just... You uh, could shank someone with a gun if you sharpened it real good. <laughs> kind of defeat the purpose of the gun, wouldn't it? And no, don't get into bayonet bullshit. Yeah, no. I'm talking, talking you got like a nice 357 six-shooter yeah. with like a nice tip at the front. Yeah, just a nice sharp handgun. As you do. For poking. That's right. <laughs> Brace yourselves because Mars hasn't seen the last of John Carter, but we probably have. And that is John Carter from 2012, directed by Andrew fucking Stanton. It's as confusing as it all sounded there. Yeah. Even writer McStrikely is just like, are you fucking for real? You want me to do this? (laughs) You want me to make this sound conversational? This movie? It's very complicated. And also, when John Carter came back to Earth, he woke up in the same cave and Powell was there with him when he left. But Powell died. Now he's a skeleton. So how much time has actually passed? Who knows? And then he went through this entire ruse on Earth of writing this journal out for his nephew, who is only a few years younger than him, I think. Something like that. Yeah, and he's he's collected this gold and he's searched the whole planet for these medallions and then pretends he has one. It's, it's so complicated. But then he goes back to Mars and 
Deja's just waiting for him. It's like, no, 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 you're a hot Martian. There's no way you're waiting that long. Yeah, and we don't know how time works. It's very complicated. Story and motivation. <laughs> Four? Yeah. It's very complicated. It's so complicated. And needlessly so. Especially with the 1881 back to 1868 and then to Mars and there's backstory before all of that about the Martians fight. It's it's too much. Well, you come back to Earth and you see Ned reading the journal again. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah I forgot that's where we were because it was two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Next category, casting. Poor. And it's mostly just Taylor Kitsch. It is mostly just Taylor Kitsch. I feel like Willem Dafoe, you underused him. Brian Cranston, you underused him. Mark Strong, you didn't let him Mark Strong at all. Lynn Collins, you used the right amount anymore, and I would have been just annoyed with her. Yeah. But Taylor Kitsch, I feel like, was just out of his element on this thing. He was not the right person for this role. And Taylor Kitsch is not a bad actor. I agree. I think he's just has had some bad luck. His agent needs to be fired. A hundred percent. And also Don Stark is in this movie, who is the, the neighbor in that 70s show. And Yeah. Oh, he showed up never being forget. serious. And I was like, how are you not making jokes about Donna and what's going on here? Why are you not asking to borrow a screwdriver or something and getting called a dumbass? Where's Red to put his boot in your ass? Holy shit. I'm looking at your cheat sheet. That was John Favreau was in this too? Yes, John Favreau oh was God. the Thark that is collecting all the, the bets that they're placing on the, the battle between red and blue. Casting, I'm going to go with a six, because it's a miracle that there are this many names in this movie, but they're just so underused. Yeah. Or miscasted, or I don't know. It's a weird spot to land in. It's a weird, it's a weird mix. Like you got names, and then you didn't use them for any of the big roles. It's an interesting flex i guess is it a flex that's the real question <laughs> it's the opposite of a flex <laughs> so what i do then got it all right <laughs> six for casting let's talk about the protagonist mr john virginia carter he's fine he is fine he saves the day he sort of does and his whole i don't thing know is though that because he... like he doesn't understand the politics of this place he just thinks she's hot yeah but his whole thing is that he is a fighter he's a warrior he doesn't stop Right. And that's kind of what he leans into this entire way. He's always fighting for something. He needs Which to is funny find a cause. That's exactly the calling he wants to go against before he ends up on Mars. Also true. All right, so maybe it's not good. <laughs> Three? He's like, I'm not inviting anybody's wars anymore. And then he shows him Mars. He's like, all right, I will fight your war. And what makes him different? He jumps real good. He jumps so good. Three. Three. Next up is the antagonist. I'm still not sure who it is. The Therns? Who are Zedanga? they? Who are they? Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's either... The, the antagonists here are either the Crips or the Blue Man group. And then at the end, you see like the Martians with the lots of arms are fighting with some of the humans. And I can't tell who the bad humans are in that situation. And even one of them is just like, no, we're dude, we're friends. And the Martians like, cool. Fred. Right, right. Oh, you're wearing blue. We're on the same team. We're fighting the ones wearing red. Got it. Because the ones wearing red are under the control of the blue man group. Four. I don't know. This is below five. It's below, below half. Five. Four. We'll give it a four. Screenplay. It's a fucking mess. It's so all over the place. You tried to have Taylor Kitsch 
one line every now and then, and it was so out of place when he tried to do it. Yeah. You have a screenplay where it looked like there was humor written up front where you have John Carter escaping in random ways over and over and over again and getting caught instantly, and it never landed once. No, and then you have a 10-minute montage of him tripping. Yeah, it's just, the screenplay is not very good. They're doing a lot of word salad a lot of the times. They slam the brakes on themselves often in order to just dump exposition all over you. They open with exposition that you just don't care about at all. It's just like, okay, who are these flying pirate Martians? I don't know what's happening. This is one of the worst screenplays I think I've ever seen put to film. I'm going to go with wow. a two. It's not good. Two. I think I'll go three. That's fine, too. As For long as it stays reasons. low, I'm going to be okay. Well, next up is style and tone. Ten. Wow. I thought the movie looked amazing. It absolutely. I completely agree, actually. It's... um. That's one thing they absolutely nailed on this one. It's no secret that this movie is one of the biggest flops of all time because <laughs> of how expensive this movie was. The estimated budget is around $250 million. Yeah, that was their original reported estimated budget. And then it like came out later, a few years later, that it was closer to $263 million. I read that it was around $312 million. And then with tax breaks, they got a 43 43- million pound tax break from the uk that's more than like movies put together all the money is on the screen when you watch this thing you go this movie looks so expensive it looks it looks great and they actually did a really good job with the cgi they did they absolutely did easy 10 for me i think it looks amazing you know what good for you john carter pulling that 10 director andrew stanton didn't have a goddamn clue what he was doing on this thing no, he's actually confessed that he wasn't satisfied with how the movie turned out. Um, he says that part of the problem came from a first-time live-action director being drunk with power after receiving too much money and creative control. He's got a Pixar mindset, man. He's down to earth if there's nothing exactly. else. Yeah. I think Andrew Stanton is an unbelievable director. He it's had great. the balls to do a kid's movie with Pixar with a robot, and there's not a word of dialogue for a half hour, and it still held everybody's interest. Amazing. And with this, he just went too far in a lot of places. Let's do the opposite. Let's do all of the words for the first half hour and none of the action. I'm going to give him a Wally bump, but it's only going to be a four. A four for director. A dirty four. It's the dirtiest four. And, you know, when you start talking about Pixar and movies and Disney and he gets a music, it's Michael Giacchino. That's a problem. (laughs) And, um... I hate that that this was going to be a joke. I was I was going to be like, who did the music for this? John Favreau. And then as I was putting together the cheat sheet, I was like, oh, John Favreau was in the movie. I can't yeah, even do he that was. now. Yeah. And also, I am convinced that Dolph Lundgren is in this movie, and it's not some sort of bullshit Mandela thing that's going on in my head. The first time that Mark Strong changes to a different person, yeah, it looks just like Dolph Lundgren. I don't remember that, but. Sure. It was to the point that I paused the movie and had to look it up. And there's no credit to Dolph Lundgren for this movie. Well, send it to IMDb. Then it'll become true. Done and done. (laughs) I have no problem doing it with my burner account. We're good. Just like that, Dolph's got another credit. But the music in this, it was very heavy-handed. I noticed it a few times. I was like, you're doing a lot here. But overall, I don't think it was bad. I don't either. And there's like certain weird Philip Glass elements to it, too, that I thought was kind of neat. 
I do like the way that the John Carter uh, motif evolves as the movie goes along. It evolves enough. Yeah. I'm six? sitting somewhere around like a six or a seven on this. Yeah, somewhere six. there. Uh, Jaquino Bump, seven. Jaquino Bump, seven. I like it. Next up is the box office. This uh, <laughs> this movie famously flopped. Um, the estimated budget, like you said, was $250 million. Uh, Worldwide gross was $284 million. They realized that they were fucked the first weekend when it only did $30 million. <laughs> Which is funny because it still finished second in the box office that weekend. It did. Behind just behind the Lorax, somehow a Danny DeVito animated movie, and just ahead of Project X. It was a weird weekend in movies. Yeah, it was. But a one hundred and thirteen percent return on investment, which is also not accurate because it actually costs more than that to make, is only going to give it a three. Yeah, I'm not willing to give it a three. Disney lost two hundred million dollars on this movie. <laughs> yeah, they did. This has to be a zero. If it's not a zero, I don't know what we're doing anymore. I agree. Box office, zero. Which brings us to the impact on the industry. I don't know if there is one. It's it's funny because like this movie for 80 years was so close to being hugely impactful, but never got made. Right. But when they did make it, it was $250 million. And they took a yeah. huge gamble on this movie. But there was another movie that came out in 2012 that also costs about $200 million that took about the same gamble. And that was The Avengers. Yeah. And The Avengers did $1.5 <laughs> That's true. Now, what's interesting about that is uh, one of the directors who was attached to this while it was in development hell was John Favreau. And when he left John Carter because Paramount let the rights expire, he went on to do... Iron Man. So this sort of spawned the MCU in a way? Uh, I don't know. Again, it was so close to being impactful, but then wasn't. But also, a, a negative impact is still an impact. It's one of the biggest flops of all time. I can't really argue that. I want to argue that, but I can't. You know, at one point they had John McTiernan attached to this? That and Tom been Cruise. awesome. John McTiernan and Tom Cruise in an 80s version of this movie. I'm in. 100% I'm in. Uh, nine. No one knows anything about this movie except that it flopped. Nine feels high, but who am I to go against that? <laughs> that is going to give John Carter a total score of 50. Okay, that got way too close. On Rotten Tomatoes, the critical score for this thing is 52%. <laughs> the audience score is a 60%. That was dangerous damn how do we do it i feel like we're like back on our element though we're getting a little bit closer again we had a drink a couple weeks ago that's that's true i've been drinking long drink seltzers or whatever these things are the finnish long drink the legend of 1952 and they're real bubbly super bubbly they they make for great belching they do it's a good thing it's at the end (laughs) of the episode so that's been john carter from 2012 directed by a guy (laughs) it's just kevin our good friend we love you Questioning your taste a tiny bit, but I still love you. Isn't his favorite Disney movie like Atlantis? Whatever that one is. He's like, we gone to bat for that a couple coming. times. But Brian, we got one more week left of all audience August. Audience? Audience. Why don't you go into the random generator majig and we got 50 movies to pick from in there. People keep submitting. This is fantastic. 
why don't you tell everybody what we're talking about next week? Beer us a movie. All right. It looks like next week we're going to be talking about the 1957 film Funny Face. Wow. Who's the sophisticated person in the group? That one comes to us from Stephanie. I'm like out of my element, but I'm also like incredibly deep in my element. That's kind of your wheelhouse. It is very much my wheelhouse. Which is something I might have told while I was training the AI earlier. And uh, there's there might be a little something from the AI on the Patreon. Pay attention. I'm very curious about anything you just said there. <laughs> Next week, we're talking 1957's Funny Face. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Send us your movie suggestions via email, beermeamoviepod at gmail.com. Or you can send them on our various social media platforms uh, at beermeamoviepod on X, gross, and at beermeamovie everywhere else. <laughs> like Facebook and Instagram, and you know, especially Facebook, because people love using Facebook. They're like, hey, I can just type comments. Like when we ask for your questions and comments on our recording days. We got a couple questions. I'm going to get the boring one out of the way right away. Because okay. it's just Kevin did right in, and he says, if it didn't bomb, could you have seen them correcting the issues and growing the franchise? What a huge what if. That is like the ultimate what if. If this movie wasn't what this movie was, and it was good, do you think it could have been good <laughs> for more movies? If this movie were literally entirely different, do you think that it could have spawned a franchise? Hey, do you think Disney likes doing sequels when their movies are profitable? Yeah, yeah, I do. It absolutely would have grown a franchise. Yeah, for sure. There's 11 books. I mean, plenty yeah. of stuff to borrow from at that point. But at the same time, uh, Disney acquired a little property known as Lucas Arts around the same time, or Lucas Films. Lucas Film. The arts is the, Lucas, the video games. The arts is the video games. Yeah. The They acquired Lucas Films around this time, and they're like, hey, we don't need to compete with Star Wars anymore. We are Star Wars. We are Star Wars. We're good. And I want to get to the heavy hitting questions, the ones that actually matter. Important questions. Jeff Miners wrote in and he said, so, this movie was a box office bomb, huh? Neat. Anyway, wet bed behead, fries, hash browns, tater tots. Oh, yes. Okay, easy. Uh, wed tater tots, behead hash browns. 100%. And, and bed french fries. That's easy. That was very easy. But, because Donnie's always in his element. Oh, Donnie. He said he's going to go more granular. Wed, bed, behead. Straight fries, waffle fries, curly fries. Ooh, okay. Um, behead, waffle fries. You, sir, can go straight to hell. I will not. I'm going to bed straight fries, and I'm <laughs> marrying the seasoned curlies. And, okay, I understand marrying the seasoned curlies. What do you have against waffle fries? They're too potato-y, and they get soggy faster. But straight fries are so boring. But they're so they're they're a classic. I understand it. That's like getting a Neapolitan wet bed behead of like chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. I'm and you're going chocolate. I'm wow. This actually checks out. Then all right, <laughs> I will not argue with you anymore. It all makes sense. Yeah. Everybody, thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us, Brian. Do you have anything else? I have nothing else. Fantastic. Next week. We're talking about a sophisticated movie, goddammit. It's Funny Face <laughs> from 1957. We'll see you then.